After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Please move it. Please move it. Please move it. I got to admit this. I made a mistake. I think I'm bang on this. I'm bang on. Okay, gentlemen, play ball. Watch it here. Good checking, guys. Good play. It's getting hot outside, it's getting hot on the ice, and that is because the Stanley Cup playoffs are underway, and there is an awful lot happening, and some of it, I think, maybe contravenes the rules slightly, Josh. What about you? Rules being broken in the playoffs? No. No! <laughs> it's It's been known to happen once or twice, I think. And, and in fact, I think without really using an awful lot of brain power, we can come up with a couple of things, don't you? Yeah, and, and they might even might even actually get called, too. So we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. This is the Scouting the Rest podcast. It is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS, that's R-E-F-S, for your order. You will receive 20% off your order and free shipping. So we're into the second half now of the month of May, and whether it's it's Victoria Day holiday weekend in Canada or the Memorial Day holiday weekend coming up in the United States, it is traditionally a big gardening weekend. And in your garden, in your lawn, you spend hours getting things just the way you want. It is much simpler a process with the Manscaped products for, for trimming, for mowing, for manscaping, and all those other important things. You get the right tools, the right rejuvenator, and other products to give you a, a, a shall we give, say, a healthy, comfortable landscape with less fuss? Would that be a good way to put it, Josh? I, I think so. I think you, you start to appreciate your property a little bit more when you've got the right landscaping there. And Manscaped definitely gives you the tools to do it. And, and like you said, Todd, it's, it's the right time of year. Things are getting warmer uh, outside. Things are growing, things are sprouting, and, and certainly something you want to keep under control if you don't necessarily want to have things growing out of control. I think that even a celebratory beer when you've completed the cutting process is also a, a worthwhile thing. You get the right clipping tools, the right lawnmower, no chance of scraping too far. The weed whacker is fantastic. Get the right tools for the jobs. You'll feel better. And others will also agree that you feel better and look better. Hey. Don't miss out yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Todd. It's it's all part of the package, right? You want to have that that proper presentation. You want to feel good. You want to look good, and and Manscaped will help you get there. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save. Go to the website. Don't miss out on this opportunity to save. Go to the website now, Manscaped.com. Use the code Refs. Get twenty percent off and free shipping. Please make sure you're following us on our social outlets. Josh is available at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and Instagram. You'll find me at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram as well. And we welcome your emails. We love the feedback. Hey Ref at ScoutingTheRefs.com. On this week's episode, play one, miss one for Sam Bennett. Grab the puck. You go to the box. Who gets to leave the box early? And welcome back to our old friend, Nazem Kadri. Hey, Josh, before we go too far, let's recognize the officials that are working in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll recognize them because the league really hasn't officially recognized them yet. No, we're still waiting for official word for the playoff <laughs> roster, but we were able to get it up on scoutingtherefs.com. So we've got the officials working 
the postseason for this year's Stanley Cup playoffs. And they've got a separate group in Canada still working with that Canadian bubble. So up north, we've got Eric Furlat, Mark Jeanette, Brad Meyer, Kevin Pollack, Graham Skilleter as the refs in the U.S., Francis Sharon, Gord Dwyer, Jean Hébert, Steve Kazari, Frederick LeCouillet, Chris Lee, TJ Luxmore, Wes McCauley, John McIsaac, Dan O'Rourke, Brian Puckmara, Garrett Rank, Kyle Raymond, Francois St. Laurent and Kelly Sutherland. So a good veteran crew, some new guys, uh, Rank and Skillet are making their playoff debuts. So nice to see them get into the lineup there and, and working their first playoff games. Exciting, exciting to get the postseason going and, and having the list of the 20 and 20 who are officiating your Stanley Cup playoffs. Good for them. Good work so far. And they've been getting plenty of attention. In fact, it only took until the second day of the playoffs before we achieved our first suspension. Congratulations, Florida Panthers forward Sam Bennett. Given a one-game penalty for boarding Tampa's Blake Coleman. I don't think anyone can really disagree with the penalty being posed here. It was a hard, it was a dangerous hit, and it deserved a suspension. Yeah, John Cooper of the Tampa Bay Lightning called it a predatory hit. I'd agree with that assessment. You watch Bennett come steaming across the ice, looking through the numbers the entire time and just driving through Coleman. So an easy one for me. A regular season, I think we're looking at three games. But as always, the playoff factor drops that down, especially in the first round. So one game, I, I, I get that from player safety standpoint. And uh, Sam Bennett earned his one game suspension. Of course, he scored when he came back from it. So I guess he used his time off wisely. Yes, true enough. Uh, by the way, just for those wondering, the Florida Panthers did not issue a statement condemning the league and George Peros <laughs> for that suspension. I just thought I would <laughs> throw that in there. No, so. but but the New York Rangers almost did. They had to take Jim Dolan's <laughs> phone away. Yeah, true enough. Um this was a terrific game. Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay Lightning, game one of their first round series. It was a sensational hockey game, and I think everyone really agrees with that across the board. What does seem to have many riled up, though, is whether or not there could have or should have been additional discipline from player safety. A lot of people pointed out the Ryan McDonough hit from behind on Anthony Duclair. Um, there was the knee-on-knee -knee thing with Noel Achari. I don't know if either of those incidents, neither of them were as severe as the, as the Sam Bennett incident, though. No, they both deserved review and player safety looked at both of them. I think, again, if this is regular season, maybe you do see a game. But right now, uh, thinking of where we're at in the postseason, did these rise to the level of player safety issuing some supplemental discipline? I would say player safety felt that they did not. It, maybe it should have been a stronger call in the game, but it didn't rise to the level to deserve a fine or a suspension. Now, I don't know that I agree with that. I, I think I still could have gone a game uh, that that McDonough hit was a rough one. Didn't even get uh, addressed with a fine, but I certainly yeah. could have seen a, a, a small response to that one. You know, if I were issuing, I think McDonough would have gotten a game and I think I would have given, given Bennett two. Well, and I guess that's the question is, if Ryan McDonough gets one, does Sam Bennett get two? And is Sam Bennett's hit worth two? This is, I guess this is where the, the discussion point comes in on these hits. And I, I'm with you. If, you. if you really want to crack down on it and eliminate it, I'm, I'm fine with both getting suspended. Yeah, I, I think that's where the league needs to take that stance of dangerous plays. You know, we're talking about the Department of Player Safety, and we've got incidents where you've got a guy, in both cases, driving through the numbers, uh, the player's not able to protect himself, he goes into the boards dangerously, and you're hoping that he's not seriously injured on those plays. But they both had those same ingredients, and one may have been more forceful than the other, but I think from a safety standpoint, those types of hits are the kind that you do want to get out of the game. And I, I, I think a suspension was justified on both. 
Here's the other thing that struck me about this game. Again, pretty much across the board, uh, there were raves about this game between the Panthers and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Huge anticipation because it's the first time in the postseason that the two Florida teams have faced off against one another. And as it's going on, social media is blowing up. The day after, there is just rave review of this game. It was fantastic. It was wonderful. This is perhaps the the the, the best hockey game I have seen in the last 10 or 15 years. But it's amazing how much outrage it also got because apparently it was the worst officiated game in the history of the National Hockey League as well. I don't understand how you can have both. Uh, it was it's hysterical. You had a lot of penalties being called, certainly 34 minutes in penalties between two teams split pretty much down the middle. And obviously it was a busy night for Dan O'Rourke and Kyle Raymond with the whistles. Yeah. It was a good game. I think thought they did a good job of figuring out where to draw the line between some of the rough stuff, letting them play when it was puck battles or when there wasn't a distinct advantage, but calling the penalties when there was a change in possession, there was a shift because of the infraction, or it was a dangerous play. So I, I thought that while there were a lot of penalties, I thought they were all deserved. And I, I thought that the officials did a, a good job of trying to find that balance on calling to keep players safe and to make sure team wasn't getting an unfair advantage as a result of those penalties. And yes, more penalty minutes, but I agree that I thought it was a great game. And hey, 5-4, I mean, that's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think the the difficult part too is if there's a, a scrum after the play, after the, after the whistle goes, and you take one player from each side, I can appreciate that. A lot of people will suggest, well, just take one. But then you are kind of tilting the advantage toward one team or another. Others will suggest, well, you should take everyone off the ice. Well, then you wind up with a crowded penalty box and it doesn't really solve the issue. I guess it's I guess it's just a personal feeling, but I'm not sure what else you could do differently in this game. A lot of it comes down to the communication on the ice and what the officials are doing. And we've seen some crowded penalty boxes over this first week of yes. playoff action. So sometimes that is what you do. If the guys aren't listening, if nobody's responding, if they keep going at each other, and, and maybe you do send all five from each side to the box. Most cases, though, Todd, you're right. You want to send the message. You're letting the guys know, cut out the nonsense. Hey, guys, watch your sticks. Watch those punches after the whistle. You keep it up, I'm sending one of each. So you want to deliver that message to the players and to the coach to say, look, we're, we're not going to tolerate this. Next time, it's going to be one guy. I'm sending both right now. If you don't want your guy to be the lone guy going to the box, clean things up out there. So I think it's a good approach. I think it's one that we've seen work effectively in the past of, of picking. And you're certainly not going to penalize every little thing. But when you've got to send a message as an official to say, we need to clean things up out here, grabbing one guy from each side is a, a, a risk-free way to do it you let them know where the line is, but you're also making a guy sit for two minutes to think about what he's done. Communication is the key. And a shout out, by the way, to Kevin Bieksa on Hockey Night in Canada with the coverage of the Winnipeg-Edmonton game number one, who highlighted the linesmen who were yelling, offside, 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 eight times to let the players know. Great job there. That's the kind of highlights that you should be showing <laughs> during the intermission. These are also the stats we need to keep track of at Scouting the Refs, because hearing the official yelling that over and over again, that was linesman Steve Barton up there with the Oilers game. Uh, hearing him. And then uh, we had Chris Lee with his goal signal the other night, eight karate chops pointing to the goal. So I think <laughs> I think we've learned a few new metrics that fans really want to watch with these officials. The Scouting the Rest podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. There are special savings for you with our Manscaped partnership. Use the code REFS on your order. You will receive 20% off and you will get free shipping. Okay. Um, 
Uh, next incident, pretty simple. And I asked the question, what was Brian Rust thinking? Third period, minute and a half left, team up by a goal. Puck is flipped in your direction as he's standing inside the blue line. I don't know. I learned pretty early in my hockey playing days that catching the puck and throwing it out across the blue line at this point is not allowed in the rules. It worked out okay. The Pens did get the victory, but um, do you call that a brain cramp or some other sort of major malfunction on this case? Yeah, I, I would say so. Rust himself actually called it kind of a mental error there, and it I tend to agree. I know he was focused on getting the puck out of the zone. The Penguins were leading by one. The Islanders net was empty. There's just over a minute left in the game. You want to get the puck out of the defensive end. He could have batted it. He could have tried to bounce it off his body. He just wanted to move the puck away from the Islanders, and he picked... Well, possibly the worst way to do it by loving it <laughs> and then throwing it. He could have batted it. If he batted it over the glass, he'd also be looking at two minutes. So I mean, maybe that would have been a, a better option. He had a chance to avoid a penalty. But yeah, not not the best possible choice that Brian Rust could have made on that play. And one that the officials were quick to jump on and send him to the box. You mentioned batting the puck out. And I just want to acknowledge in the Toronto-Montreal game... <laughs> Game number one, there was a really weird one when the puck was shot into the Maple Leaf zone. Defenseman Justin Hall lifted his stick up high and swatted at the puck. He actually swatted it over the glass, and it was the first of three delay of game puck over glass penalties for the Maple Leafs. But I had never seen one like this before. It was very strange, but it was the right call. It, it was, and I, I don't recall ever seeing a team get three puck over glass delay of game calls. So that was... That was an interesting one. Uh, you, you, they felt like the Leafs were just cringing there, like, oh, gosh, again, we've done it. And, you know, you, you end up dropping that game. So while Montreal didn't take advantage, certainly that was six minutes that the Leafs could have probably used more effectively than killing penalties. And I, I'm sure that's something that you're going to want to work on before game two. Yeah, it was, a, it was a very challenging game after the first period incident with John Tavares, who was injured and needed to be assisted from the ice. The, the body check that he suffered and then the knee to the head from Corey Perry. The good news, he's been released from hospital, seems to be doing well. He did suffer a concussion, of course, and he's out indefinitely, but certainly moving in the right direction, and that is good. Now, after this situation, of course, Nick Foligno of the Maple Leafs challenges Corey Perry. The two had the obligatory revenge fight. So A, this is stupid. B, there is no reason for one player to seek revenge after a purely accidental play, which this was, yet it happens way too often. So isn't the obvious solution to call the instigator penalty here? I think it's appropriate. Absolutely. It's it's the right call. It's how the instigator penalty is written. So I think in this situation... The refs would have been certainly within their right to call. You give the five, you give them each five for fighting, but you give the additional two and ten to Felino because he did instigate the fight. And when we look at the instigator penalty, when we're looking at making that call, we're looking at a guy who demonstrated any of the following criteria: traveling a distance, throwing your gloves off first, throwing the first punch, your favorite menacing attitude. There was menacing. Verbal instigation, or what came into play here. Conduct in retaliation to a prior incident or obvious retribution for a previous incident in the game. Now, certainly this was instantaneous. The hit happened. They dropped the gloves. Perry wasn't looking for a fight. I mean, even after the game, Perry talked about how he tried to get out of the way. He felt terrible. Uh, you could see this wasn't something where you had a player delivering an aggressive body check who's now going to stand up for the hit. It, it was purely accidental. 
to me, this is not a time when you need a guy to stand up for his teammate. This was an accident. And a, a fight has no place following that. I Just like a fight has no place following a clean hit, though it happens all the time. And I think in those situations, the instigator is warranted. And it should have been called. And it would have seen Foligno get 2-5 and 10. And to me, that's the right call on this play. It's it's not a situation where Perry's looking for a fight. If Felino doesn't come at him, Perry's just going about his day and feeling horrible for the injury that he just inadvertently caused. Yeah, it's, it, that, I don't know. I'm not sure what else to say other than that seems to be what would make sense to me. Now, there were some significant shenanigans in the th third period of the Penguins and Islanders game number three. The, they went on for a while. They seemed to cool down. Then Jake Gensel of Pens got it going up again. When all was said and done, both penalty boxes were full of players, but there was a little bit of confusion about who got to leave the penalty box and when because of the number of penalties that were called. Now, Josh, you did a terrific job explaining the penalties called, how they're applied on the website, scoutingtherefs.com. So I'm going to let you explain what took place here because I'm thinking that there's math involved and I don't <laughs> want any part of it. There, there is a little bit of math, but we're, we're going to cross things out across the equation here. So it's all going to balance out. Almost. Okay. So, uh, breaking down the numbers, you have five Penguins penalties, you have five Islanders penalties. Those are going to cancel out. We had one additional penalty for the Penguins. That was Jake Gensel, who slashed Palmieri on his way to the box. So now we've got six Penguins penalties, five Islanders penalties. And the way the NHL rulebook has those coincidental minors work is to cancel each other out. So, as far as time spent in the box, everybody's going to sit in there for two minutes. You're not going to have a penalty clock going. They're not going to get out at the end of their two minutes. They have to wait till the next stoppage, and then they'll return to the bench. No loss of manpower on the ice. That one extra minor penalty put the wrinkle into the whole thing because it's up to the captain to decide which minor penalty is going on the clock. So when Sidney Crosby got into the penalty box, and there was lots of back and forth between the officials and Crosby, it even had Jason Zucker coming over to serve the penalty, which was one option, it was up to Crosby to make the decision. He could have Zucker serve the extra penalty to Gensel. If the Islanders score, Zucker gets out. He could have one of the other players have their time go on the clock. Could have been Latang, could have been Dumoulin. He chose himself to have his penalty go on the clock. So... If the Islanders scored with the man advantage, Crosby would be the guy to come out. It was a smart play. It's perfectly within the rules. I give Crosby a ton of credit for knowing this enough to make that right call there in the box. Now, the flip side was Crosby gets let out early. Gensel has to serve both of his penalties in their entirety in the box. So he was stuck in there a little bit longer because he was serving his in full with Crosby's penalty being the one penalty that made it up onto the clock. So... Yes, there's math, but what it came down to, <laughs> six penalties, five penalties, we are left with one penalty, and the captain of the team gets to pick which penalty counts. So nice of Sid to pick his own penalty to get him out of the box sooner. There you are. And Sidney Crosby did not leave the penalty box early is the end result. No, and Islanders fans, I know, were, were baffled by this. It's something that doesn't happen that frequently. So I can understand a lack of familiarity with the rule book there. You know, we, we really don't see, <laughs> don't see we, five we guys don't see going lines in. penalized that often. <laughs> and, and if Jake Gensel could have just kept his stick to himself on his way off, none of this would have happened. It would have been matching all across. We would have played five on fly, 
we would have played five on five and Crosby would have sat there for his whole two minutes. Yeah, uh, yeah. Simple if if only, if only. Okay. Uh, there is one other significant incident from the first week of the Stanley Cup playoffs that we want to discuss. And you can always count on certain things in the Stanley Cup playoffs. There's, you know, a surprise goal scorer. Somebody gets hot and after being cold all year, there's a goalie that makes some unbelievable saves, maybe gets a shutout and gets his first one of the year, something like that. It's all part of what we love about the postseason. Another one of the things that we can seem to count on has become Nazem Kadri doing something stupid and reckless. He did it in back-to-back years for the Toronto Maple Leafs. After getting himself suspended the second time, he got his ass traded out of town. He managed to contain himself last year for Colorado, but this year... In Game 2 of the Avs and Blues series, he was back at his routine. Justin Falk of the Blues was skating across the blue line, making his way into the Avs zone, fired the shot on goal. He had just completed the follow-through when Kadri completed his follow-through from the side and made significant contact with Falk's head. Falk was down on the ice, um, and he is out for the foreseeable future. Nazem Kadri got a match penalty, rightfully so. Nazem Kadri also got himself an appointment with the Department of Player Safety and a suspension. I was at first a bit reluctant to say this, but now I won't. Nazem Kadri is the new Matt Cook or Rafi Torres. Oof, yeah, I, I, I can't argue with that, especially when it comes to the postseason. You know, some yeah. guys step up their game in the playoffs, he steps up his suspensions. And this was a brutal one. And for a guy who's got the history that he has, certainly something that I would think player safety really will come down hard on him for, much like they did to those players. I'm not sure if you can even select a correct number of games for a suspension for Nazem Kadri. I mean, this is this is checking all of the boxes with in terms of a kind of hit that you don't want, uh, a repeating of bad performance, or a repeat offender, if you will. It's just, I'm not sure that you can even impose a, an appropriate suspension. The only way that this will change is some sort of, I think, behavior modification education that has to take place. And maybe it has to some extent. Maybe his his team, the the Avalanche and previously the Maple Leafs, did sit down with him and try to get him to, to behave properly during the playoffs. But I'm, I'm not sure what else to suggest other than you just got to keep hammering him with longer and longer suspensions. When do you get to a point where it becomes, you know what, sit until we decide you, you're allowed to play again, if we are? It's a tough one, especially when we're talking postseason, because as we've seen, you usually have a shorter suspension length because of the increased value of playoff games. But I think with a repeat offender like Kadri, somebody who's been suspended three games, four games, obviously the in-person hearing gives them the ability to go above five games. And I certainly think that they should. No, the big question to me is, are, are we looking at six to eight or are they going double digits here? Because I, I think with a hit that was this dangerous, that was an intent to injure from a guy who has shown previous incidents that were also intent to injure. I don't know, Todd, how you send that message without saying, guess what? Eight games, 10 games, something like that. And then, of course, that draws into the potential for appeal and and the other frustrating part of the process for some. And again, this this would require rule changes and and likely an agreement between the Players Association. But maybe at some point when you've had three previous suspensions, you have to make your case as to why you should be allowed to return. 
hey, that's that's a good point. I know these guys during their hearings with player safety are making the case for why they shouldn't be suspended or why the hit wasn't as bad or, or why it should be minimized. But I'd love to hear him make a case for, hey, you've shown us repeatedly that you do this again and again, that, that your behavior on the ice is such that you are a risk to other players. And hey, let the Players Association hop in here as well and stick up yeah. for the guys that he's injured along the way. Hey, make a case for how you can tell us that other players shouldn't be concerned when you're out on the ice or that you are not a menace to the National Hockey League. And menace, I think, is the the right word in this case. It just it's just it it's so exasperating to witness behavior after behavior in the same kind of fashion, the same reckless disregard for for player safety. And I'm I'm amazed that there are still some that are either apologizing for it or saying, oh, well, he Justin Falk lowered his head. He was in the act of shooting the puck on goal, and he he is blameless in this incident, period. Absolutely, and that, that could be one of those situations when player safety will look at Falk's body position, and yes, the act of shooting may have lowered his head, but it wasn't something that Kadri shouldn't have expected. He saw him lining up the shot. He saw him release the shot. He didn't minimize contact. He didn't choose a path that would drive him through the body with a clean body check because Falk was eligible to be checked on the play. It just had to be a legal body check. So Kadri had options. He chose poorly on all of them and delivered a hit to the head. Given all those things, I, I can't see how Falk materially contributed to the difference. It wasn't like he turned at the last second. He was shooting, and a shooting movement is somewhat predictable. So this is entirely on Kadri. The onus was on him to deliver a legal body check. He did not, and he obviously has shown in the past that he has a hard time differentiating between what is legal and illegal when it comes to body contact. I suspect, though, even in this case, that there will be not 100% agreement in what the Department of Player Safety ruling is because that just seems to be the way things have gone for a little while. Is there ever? Come on. It could be <laughs> It could be a, the, the right answer. It could be eight games. It could be three games. And I'll have somebody, somebody coming back and saying, well, there goes Department of Player Safety spinning the wheel of justice again and seeing what it landed on for Nazmi Kadri. And that's what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs great. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. 